Moms are great. Mother's Day is a nightmare. Based on the reporting we're seeing, this may be our busiest Mother's Day yet. Yelp for Restaurants is here to help you execute a flawless service. Contactless table management, reservation management, and digital waitlisting tools ensure that your guests don't have to wait around in long lines. Empower your diners to add themselves to your digital waitlist before they even leave their house. Provide accurate wait times and automatically notify your guests right before their table is ready. The restaurant of the future exists today. Visit restaurants.yelp.com today to learn more. Now here we go. So now our foundation also hosts an incubator where we can work with brands that are at idea stage. Maybe it's a pop-up, maybe it's a catering concept, maybe you had a food truck. We can help you turn that into your first brick and mortar, help you find your way into that first successful brick and mortar that later we can invest in and put into our accelerator. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Lauren Fernandez went from working in restaurants to working on restaurants to influencing the industry at scale. After cutting her teeth as a corporate executive turned franchisee, she's taken the lessons she's learned and crafted not only an educational platform, but an investment engine for those that come after her. Today, we discuss what she's built and how it works to ease the burden of independent restaurateurs. I am an attorney turned restaurateur and franchisee turned investor. This is sort of my story. I have an MBA and a law degree from Emory. I've been in the Atlanta market for over 20 years. Part of that journey, I was an attorney primarily in product development and commercialization. So I worked with pharmaceutical, food, and beverage companies to help commercialize their products. And that journey ultimately led me to full course, I'm sorry, to um, first to uh, focus brands where I was the general counsel and I was there for a little over three years. But one of the things I did when I was there, in addition to getting deeply steeped in the nuances of franchising and restaurant industry was helping them leverage some of their brands onto products. And Cinnabon would be the most notable and popular example of that. So Cinnabon Airwicks, Cinnabon Vodka, Cinnabon on the Taco Bell breakfast menu, everywhere, right? And really enjoyed that. But one of the things it did for me was open my eyes not only to the entrepreneurial opportunities that exist in franchising and how powerful that can be, but also omni-channel options for brands. How can you leverage a brand's existence outside of the four walls, product just being one of them, right? And so when I left Focus, I had an opportunity to really push my chips in and learn the operations side of the business and step back to, I think, my entrepreneurial roots. I've been an entrepreneur since I was probably 14. My parents would probably argue even earlier than that. But I became a multi-unit operator almost overnight. So I started Origin Development Group, and we became the largest multi-unit franchisee in the chicken salad chick system. We bought three restaurants and then very quickly grew that to 11 units over the course of less than 20 months. And at the end of 2018, 
became part of a strategic acquisition from the parent company. So all of our units, our catering program, our delivery program, our non-traditional units, and the three units I had under development all went back up to corporate and became company stores. And I successfully exited the system. So I took in 2019 and had a pause moment and reflected back on this whirlwind I had had of an experience in the restaurant industry. And I noticed a couple of things that were really kind of like really just irking me or just really felt like I needed to fix. And the feeling wouldn't go away. And ultimately, I felt like this became my call to action. But it took me some time to put it together to see what it would look like. Lots of late night discussions with friends and family and trusted advisors and mentors. And the basic issues I saw were this. Chicken Salad Chick is a brand that was started by a woman, a single mom trying to make ends meet. And she had that struggle to open the first unit, struggle to continue to scale, to find the right investors, et cetera. And her story is hers and it's fen- phenomenal. And it's what attracted me to the brand in the first place. But in looking around, I kept thinking to myself, why aren't there more brands like this that are unique? They're diverse. They're run by women and minorities and immigrants. And that's who we are as a country. Why are all these brands that are chosen for regional and national growth and massive investment all kind of the same? And so when I started researching this and really breaking it down, I identified three key issues. One is if you're an entrepreneur and you've started a restaurant, it's very hard to crack the playbook on growth and understand what the options are for exit when you go to sell the business or to have it evaluated or to take on partners, et cetera. That to me is an education issue. Okay, fine. We'll figure out how to coach to that. That's one issue. The second issue is capital. It is extremely difficult for these types of underrepresented founders to find access to fair and ethical capital, whether that's debt or equity. Either one, take your pick. I use me as an example all the time. I'm a minority female. Our company is 100% female minority owned. I bootstrapped this whole thing myself. And even last week, I was offered a business loan that started at 19% and went up to, and I quote, 28% based on my credit worthiness scores, where I'm like, listen, people, you're not doing me any favors (laughs) starting at 19%. Like, that's usury. Like, I have credit cards that have lower interest rates than that. It's almost laughable. So I don't do that to shame people who are out there doing their thing and, and offering debt you know, whatever. I'm sure there's people who take it. I just don't believe. I'm sure there are plenty of moral people out there charging 28% interest. I'm I'm sure. sure, Right. If you're listening to this show, become a sponsor. Yes. (laughs) You have plenty of money. I'm just not taking out that debt. Right. But here's the thing. You can get mad about that or you can try and level that playing field. And so instinctively, I knew that part of full course's solution had to have a capital component to it. So Park that for a second. Then the third piece of this comes from personal experience. I ran and operated all of our units until about unit 10 when we finally hired a DO. And I also ran development full time. So I was constantly exhausted, chronically fatigued. And after we sold our restaurants, I make no joke about this. It took me at least three months to recover. I mean, just sleeping like 14 hour blocks at a time. I mean, anyone who knows me knows I'm like a four hour a night kind of girl. And like, even my husband at the time was like, honey, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm hibernating. I'll let you know when I'm done. That to me was just such an epiphany. Like you 
could be the best operator on the planet. You can understand the playbook. You can have a great concept and you can have the best capital structure behind you. But doing both the operations and the development is ill-advised. It's very, very hard to efficiently and effectively deploy capital and still keep the wheels on the bus, as I like to say. So that's the third issue. So when I devised kind of what full course could be, I took a step back and I'm like, how can we solve for these things? And what emerged was a three-pronged solution. So full course, by no mistake, has three components. We have our fund, where we raise capital to support early stage investment in restaurants and in food brands that we can turn into restaurants. We have our management company that supports daily operations with best-in-class training and support of founders and owner operators as we grow their business. And we have a development team that sits in that management company that deploys capital on their behalf. So it's our construction our architects, our designers, our real estate site selection, our franchising team, our product development team, et cetera. We are your back office development team. The third piece of this, which is arguably the most important, is our education foundation. So we have a 501c3 called the Full Course Foundation, and that is where we park all of our educational resources that are available to everyone in the industry. And that is full access to everyone from the dishwasher to the front of house hostess to an owner operator, a franchisee. We don't care. The whole point is that we are giving people an opportunity to bridge the gap where they may be missing opportunities for their own personal and professional growth in our industry, creating career paths for them and giving them access to education that bridges that on the job gap where they may not be getting everything that they need from their organization. So maybe by accident, full course became something so much more. And over the last three years that we've been doing all of these things at full course, we realized there are gaps even in what we were providing. So we took what we knew to be our accelerator process after investment, and we bolted on an incubator. So now our foundation also hosts an incubator where we can work with brands that are at idea stage. Maybe it's a pop-up. Maybe it's a catering concept. Maybe you had a food truck or still have a food truck. We can help you turn that into your first brick and mortar, hopefully put you through our program help you find your way into that first successful brick and mortar that later we can invest in and put into our accelerator. And that is how we landed where we are today. (laughs) I'm overwhelmed. Are you overwhelmed? I'm overwhelmed. (laughs) I've had a lot of coffee. It's helping. (laughs) It is. It really is. I want to go a little bit further back and then I want to delve back into full course. So we lose your experience with chicken salad chick is an example. How much credit do you give to the infrastructure that they had in place when it came to your success as a restaurateur? And how much of it came from all of the elements that you innovated, iterated, and bolted on? Wow, such a great question. So let me just start with this. I walk in, picture me first day, we've closed on the deal. I walk into the restaurants, we call a meeting with the management team to tell them, this has happened, here we are, we're your new owners. This is a true story. I walk in, I was literally dressed like corporate Barbie, like the jacket, the pumps, the pants, the whole night. We had just closed on a deal, right? Of course, not in restaurant gear at all. And I sat down with the team and I called myself out on it. I'm like, look, I know I look like a person who doesn't know anything about this. I have been deeply steeped in this industry for some time, but I've been on the other side of the table. 
And what I'm going to show you over the next few months that I'm here shoulder to shoulder with you is that I want to learn. I am hungry to learn. And the way we are going to fix the things that are broken in these restaurants right now is you are going to help me figure it out. We are going to do this together. And we are going to start by acknowledging that maybe it's not all right right now, but we're going to get it there. And that was the beginning of my journey as an operator. Now, I give so much credit to that system, to their amazing training and operations team, to the outstanding field support we got. And true story, my franchise business consultant is now our chief operating officer. He actually was known to me prior to Chicken Salad Chick. He was a Moe's uh, Southwest Grill multi-unit operator. So we knew each other. So when he walked in the door of my restaurant, I was like, what are you, wait, who, I like my brain could not wrap my head around why James Kaler was in a chicken salad, chicken uniform and in my restaurant, like it just wasn't connecting. And that was such a beautiful thing because a deep friendship started. I learned so much from our team, from the employees that we had from their system, from James's ongoing support. And then it kind of got to a point, I'd say about six months in, where we hit our stride. Like I'd figured it out. It's an efficient and elegant system. And then everything after that, I think, was a lot of taking ideas from our team, taking ideas from James, who had a lot of great ones, and really bolting on my knowledge and expertise to take it to the next level, asking questions like, where's the catering program? Hey, Uber Eats is coming to this market. Can we be the test? Like raising my hand, like, hey, we'll do it. Like, just tell us it's okay. and We'll run the test. That was like way back in like 2016. And so I think it's a kind of maybe a one-two punch there, but I think it's a testament to what I think of Chicken Salad Chicken, their training program and the folks behind that, that ultimately we hired James to come in and run operations for us. Because that's a fine touch, right? Like being able to work with owners and founders and helping elevate their brand operations is almost very similar to working in a franchise or franchisee situation where you are representing the franchisor, but you're coming into their unit to help them improve their business. And I thought no one's better at this than James Kaler. So we hired him. Smart move. Let's dig deeper into that first six months. So in that first six months, and I would say this is true for all of the locations that I open, there were always these moments of overwhelm where like very calmly, I turned to the team and I'd be like, I need to use the bathroom. I'll be right back. But I didn't need to use the bathroom. I just needed a minute. I needed one fucking minute to myself just to be able to like breathe deeply and then gather the courage to compel myself to go back out there and get buried again, which is very different than what you had come from before, mm -hmm. you know, overwhelm in a corporate environment is just having a lot of stuff to do. That's it. Oh, I'm really overwhelmed. I've got to get these things done. There's nothing quite like somebody staring at you waiting for their sandwich. It's a very different type of urgency. It's a very <laughs> different type of overwhelm, right? It is. I, it's a different type of anxiety. It I'll is. Look, I have an hour for lunch. It took me 15 minutes to drive here. It took me 15 minutes to drive back. I have 30 minutes to eat and I've been waiting for 15 minutes. How are you going to satiate me in this moment? It is a level of stress that most people outside the industry just can't fathom. No idea. Yeah. And this person is very hungry, which makes them unpleasant. So <laughs> how did you manage that? It's just a completely different set of expectations. And, and what I've found is 
success in this industry has a lot less to do with training other people to be great and a lot more to do with conditioning yourself to be great and inspire greatness. So what kind of self-work did you do in that first six months? There were a lot of very long days where I would get home and I would unpack what I had learned and I started calling people that I trusted to help me reset my brain a little bit about how things worked. I mean, I ran a team of over 24 people at Focus. And that is so different from running 24 people times three restaurants, which ultimately grew to almost 450 employees in less than three years. So I was deeply stretching to the max my people management skills, my time management skills, and my stress management skills, because you're right. It's a level of physical exhaustion coupled with adrenaline and a lot of caffeine. And you have to really love people to do with this in our industry, or maybe be crazy or a little bit of both, right? And people often talk about restaurants as food, and that's very common for consumers. But people who are in this industry are in it because people are our business. So for me, on a good day, that elegance of the team just humming and whirring and the tickets going out on time and the catering went out without a hitch and you crank through a $7,000 lunch and you're just like, yes, you know, that's a beautiful moment. You high five the team, the customers are happy, but the challenging moments are all the ones in between. You know, the walk-in cooler goes down, the sandwich line refrigeration breaks halfway through lunch, someone no-shows, three people no-show, the bus breaks down and your entire team doesn't show up for a shift. I think those moments when you are really up against the wall, you find out what you're made out of, right? And there were many moments you refer to going to the bathroom. I would go in the walk-in cooler and just scream, like just (laughs) let it out like primal rage style. And we have this running joke on our team. Everyone on our executive team is a former operator. Yeah, we're industry executives. We all have areas of expertise, but we've operated. And that's a big difference because what this teaches you, having been in operations, is every single one of us has had that moment where we're like, what am I doing? For me, this is a true story. I was on the floor, hands and knees, under our three comp sink, scraping out with my million dollar tools, these hands, as we call it, literally a floor drain. And I'm like, what am I doing? I have two postgraduate degrees. I am a smart person. Like there has got to be a better solution for this. And indeed there was, and an employee came up with it. But the point is you have these moments of really deep doubt and it feels very dark, but where the light comes from is that customer who just writes that five-star review, who leaves an enormous tip for the team, that team member who comes up with the great idea. I think there's just so much beauty in the people that kind of add to it and refuel your fire. So to that, I will say, yeah, there are some harrowing moments. I think we all have war stories, but we keep coming back to this every day because we love this. We love serving people. And I'm just serving people in a different capacity now that I think leverages all of my skills and experience, which feels so good for me and for my team that that is just, look, I still get up some mornings and I have anxiety. I have stress. I'm exhausted some days, especially when I have to travel a lot, but I love what I do. 
and I get up with that fire and that passion for doing it. And if you wake up one morning and you lose that passion, you got to go find it again because lean into the people around you to restoke that fire because without them around me cheering me on, friends, family, coworkers, peers, our investors, our clients, like I wouldn't keep doing this every day. It's hard. It's very hard, but I still love it. Still love it. What I think would be useful for me and for the people listening is, what is the vetting process for a great concept? So somebody comes to you with an idea that they want to incubate. There are X number of metrics that you guys hold this idea up against to determine whether this is a good idea or not. What are those things? Yeah, so for us, it's less about judging if it's a good idea or not. For me, the reason that incubator exists is sometimes you don't have the idea right at first, but layering on knowledge, education, the cohort itself, how we constructed launch as our incubator process. It's 12 modules. So we walk folks through every single step. So in the very beginning, one of the things we focus on is the brand. What are we actually selling and who are we selling it to? You would be shocked at how many folks have like a restaurant concept and a menu, and they maybe even go get real estate and they have no idea who their target customer is. So that initial ideation that we do, even if the brand already exists and is like a food truck or a catering concept or whatever, we really focus in and refine and hone that to help them be successful. I'm not interested necessarily, if this makes sense, in screening people out of our incubator. Our idea, rather, is to pull them in, help refine and shape, and then put them through the rest of the process so they have a fighting chance of survival. I hate more than anything that stupid quote about restaurant failure in the first six months and year. I know you've heard it too. We all know why it exists. And unfortunately, there's a lot of really big mistakes you can make very early on. So initially... What this was, was let's help people avoid those three mistakes. Then it was, well, we also need to teach them these other things too, right? Like how to open a bank account and how to keep your books and how to run a grand opening and how to build your team and recruit for your team. So eventually it became 12 modules and it's very robust and it's literally everything you need to know from soup to nuts, from how to do your lease negotiation to what to do two weeks after opening when you need to like trim back your team and rebalance scheduling, et cetera. All of that is to say the incubator is designed to create a better chance of success for all of these restaurant ideas that come through, right? I can't predict whether or not you're going to execute, whether or not it's actually going to be successful, but my goal is to reduce your risk. There is the lawyer in me talking, right? Like, <laughs> I want to mitigate operationally, legally, from a business perspective and a financial perspective, as much risk as I can for you so that you have more chance of success in that first six months and year. A big piece of that, Josh, is making sure we're giving people access to the education and the right network of capital sources. So that's fair and ethical debt providers. That's folks like us who write checks for early stage brands, maybe how to do a friend and family raise, how to do crowdfunding to source your first restaurant. All of that is part of our education process because it's not just access to the capital itself. It's knowing the differences between different types of equity and debt. And so what does it look like at the end of that? So 12 modules later, let's say it's 12 weeks, let's say it's 24 weeks. If they're moving a little slowly, I'm assuming they're able to move through it at their own pace. 
They can. So we do it as a once a year cohort where it's live. That will launch this year on August 1st. So you can apply to be part of the live cohort, which is a very powerful, super amazing thing. But we do offer it either as a la carte modules for $99 a pop, or you can do the whole thing. It is 12 modules. If you do them virtually, you can do them as fast as you want. Each one has a video. It has tools. It has downloadable templates, et cetera, that you can use. And this is practical knowledge. Look, here's the thing. One of the reasons we started an education foundation for our industry is you don't need a generic P&L. You need to know how to read a restaurant P&L like you're a food cost detective, <laughs> like you are looking for who is murdering your prime costs. Like you've got to be able to go in there and dissect that sucker like, like your life depends on it. And no one really necessarily teaches it quite like that. And so we felt a need to create some custom solutions. And it is very practical, very tactical. At the end, you should be able to have a full kind of plan for how to open your restaurant, staff it, do a PR and marketing plan, which we provide a template for and some suggestions and launch it and be successful. When you're done, with our launch module, we have a navigator program. That's a $29 a month group coaching solution that allows us to continue to be your advisors and consultants at a very affordable rate. So we can support you in that first six months to a year after you're open. That's actually open to everybody. We have seasoned operators who buy it for their managers. We have large companies who buy it for their franchisees. Navigator is designed to be an affordable way for you to get the answers you need from experts. So we avail our entire team to the Navigator community. And that once a month, we do an hour and a half of coaching. You can also bolt on at a discounted rate, one-on-one -on -one coaching that we only offer through that program. The idea here is that we are getting you open for at least a year so that we can then later evaluate you for our accelerator program, which includes investment. So all of this is to say that it's a long journey for a restaurateur, but we have something in our ecosystem for you at every stage. That's the idea. What are the, for the existing operators out there, not the Genesis operators, but for the ones that have been out there and doing it a while, what are some of the common problems you see them coming up against? And what are some of the common solutions? Common problems that we see when folks knock on our door. Now, keep in mind, a lot of the seasoned operators are coming to us for capital injection. Number one, this is very common. The books are messed up, right? So there's not a seasoned restaurant accountant working the books. I see a lot of owner expense on the books. So their car, you know, it's a very common example, but everyone gets it. Maybe their salary is not recorded on there. Like if they're in position, it should be recorded on the store level P&L, even if it's fractional. The idea of what I try to explain to people is when someone is looking at your business for investment, that P&L should be as clean as possible. It should reflect what it actually takes to operate that particular location and everything else should be what we call below the line or reflected in a corporate parent co or accounting code that is separated. So we have a real understanding of what the business is doing, profit margin, top line sales, et cetera. And that is kind of the number one thing I see. The number two thing I see may surprise you, but I'm going to say it anyway. And it's more qualitative. And it's this notion that I don't need the help. I just want the capital. 
And we have yet to see a single restaurant come in that doesn't need some help foundationally to get it ready for rapid scale, at least the rapid scale that we do. Look, I'm not suggesting that they're imperfect or they're wrong. They may be perfectly fine on their own, but if they want to achieve the level of rapid growth that we experience in our accelerator, we know from experience you have to have certain things in place. And it's bigger than just processes and procedures. It's a lot about taking the hats off the owner and making sure that work is transparent. It's shared across the team. It's shared with vendors. And you're then able to break it down and go, is that best in class? Is that best in class? Is that best in class? And so I would label this issue as an unwillingness to receive help or coaching or guidance and to take off the hats because a lot of owners want to hold it all very close to the chest. I know that feeling. I understand it. I live it every day in my own business. But as we rapidly grow, even at full course, I find joy in handing those things off and creating opportunities for new employees on our team and strengthening vendor partnerships where we hand off more work to them because we trust them. And that's a really key thing. Um, Before we move on, I have a question about that. So there's an art to delegation. Mm. And most of the people that are refusing to give up all the hats, it's not because they've never tried. It's because they've tried and failed repeatedly, which creates more work, strains, cash flows, the whole nine yards. You end up way further behind than you thought you would be ahead. There's all this disappointment as it relates to that. How do you help owners successfully delegate and pull themselves out of their businesses? Yeah. So we start first by asking them what they love to do. Because every single person will tell you they have one thing that they love to do, maybe two. Another way to ask this is what's your favorite position in the restaurant? Like if you're in the restaurant on a daily basis, where do you love to be? Some people will say kitchen, prep. Some people will say expo. Some are like, oh, I work the dining room all day long. And that gives you a little bit more of a good insight into their mind and kind of where maybe their personality kind of best fits. And I'm not going to like categorize this obliquely, but I will say like for someone who just loves being in the back of house and chopping onions is probably a little bit more of an introvert. Someone who's out on the dining room floor, a little bit more of an extrovert. And sometimes that does have some alignment to how they identify which areas of the business they prefer to work in. So we go, okay, all right, so you're wearing 10 hats. Let's rank them here. Like which ones are your most favorite? If you got to design your job, what would it look like? And that's where we start. We don't go, what can we take from you tomorrow? Never works. Instead, you ask them to create their perfect role. And indeed, the first dollars we spend at full course on our investment is in the founders. Unlike other equity groups, we believe in paying them a fair and market salary. We bonus them on performance. And there is also they control 51% of their company until we get to our first exit. That's a big deal. Most groups won't do that. And so for us, the way I approach this is let's start with the perfect. Let's build out your role. Okay, now here's the rest of your team. Let's identify some talent gaps. Where could you use some help? If you wanted to hand off X, Y, and Z roles, what would we need to fill in that? Do we hire a vendor for it? And so we spend a lot of time before investment as part of their growth planning strategy identifying their role, but also what their team looks like. And that's where a lot of our dollars go. And the investment is building the team and the brand that's going to help us execute. What's the formula for successful growth? When you're scaling these restaurants up, I'm sure through a lot of trial and error, you figured out what works and what doesn't. Let's run through a few things that worked and a few things that don't. Okay. Things that work great. I would say a critical mass of company stores. 
but not too many. There is a sweet spot where you have enough company stores that you need a layer of operations above them that then gets leveraged very effectively when you start the early stages of a franchise system. So there's some kind of magical balance that we know exists between the number of company stores and the number of franchise units in those early stages of growth. That works really, really well. What doesn't work well is franchising it right out of the gate because you are trial and erroring on all of those franchisees. And I think that's unfair. Are there situations where it's appropriate? Yeah, I guess so. But I just personal belief, like I think you need to copy, paste, repeat your own model a couple of times, see how it performs in different markets, come up a couple issues, fix them, refine it, keep refining it and land at a point where you're comfortable and you say this works, the unit level economics works, we can repeat it with a franchise. One of the things that doesn't work is treating all of the brands the same. So if you go to like a franchise packager, they're going to treat you all the same. You walk in the door, you get a franchise agreement, a franchise disclosure document, off to the races selling franchises. I don't personally believe that all brands are suited for the same style of franchising. And so one of the things that we know works is we have a very open perspective on what growth can look like. So we prefer to look at these brands in an omni-channel approach where we go, If you're a loyal fan of this brand, where do you want it? How do you want it? How can we deliver it? What are the different channels we can activate? All of our brands are activated on at least four channels. So that's core group of company stores, a couple non-traditional locations, which may include virtual branding and ghost kitchens. We also look at product development and bolting on product that's manufactured as part of the system, not only in the franchise, but for retail and wholesale. And then we franchise. So it's this approach to growth that's very broad in its kind of concept. And we think that that contributes to better results. We have seen it already with our brands. You get more revenue streams, more financial stability, and ultimately at exit, as we will see in five years with our first ones are exiting, a better valuation on the company. The goal is to change the future of our industry. Paint that picture for me. How would you like to see our industry evolve to create a better future for all of us? I want us to be an industry where we're revered for how we treat people. Two thirds of Americans identify a restaurant as their first job. We're the fourth largest employer in the United States and represent over a million businesses. What an enormous opportunity to positively impact lives and hopefully convert some of those folks to loyal fans who want to build a career and a future in our industry. If we can invest in them early enough with the right kinds of educational resources, support, guidance, coaching, and mentoring, we have an ability to impact not just future generations of Americans, because let's face it, we know this stat, something like 67% of all restaurant employees are between the ages of 18 and 24. That's an entire generation or more that we could touch when we have those opportunities where they're in that first job and hopefully keep them, right? And get rid of this black eye that we have where 175% turnover is normalized. I don't want to see that anymore. I want to see all restaurants have phenomenal retention rates, long-term career planning. And if we don't keep them in our industry, we have a sincere and deep impact on those workers when they leave and go somewhere else. They are 
activating their empathetic leadership. They are fully evolved as a servant leader. They really deeply understand how to connect to people, communicate, how to manage under crisis, or all the things we know goes into being in a restaurant and running a restaurant or being a part of a team in a restaurant. That's what we think about in the future. Our industry suffers from razor-thin margins, and the only way for us to ensure profitability is to make data-driven decisions. The numbers don't lie, and Yelp for Restaurants just released some incredibly compelling numbers. For starters, Yelp reaches nine times more customers online than OpenTable. And would restaurants pair that level of visibility with guest manager in Yelp ads, they experience up to an 8% lift in diner bookings. Think about what that 8% lift could do for your restaurant's finances. To learn more about how Yelp for Restaurants can support your business, visit restaurants.yelp.com to learn more today. That's Lauren Fernandez. For more information on Lauren and Full Course, visit fullcourse.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.